brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Softrep.com, on time, on target, episode 331, Steve Ballastieri is on with me, Steve was on back 10 episodes ago, um, if you listen to the end of the last episode, I said we'd have Rob O'Neill on here, we are going to do an episode with Rob O'Neill on the power of thought, um, but we're not going to do it for Softrep, so if you want to check that out, just look up the power of thought um, on Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you get your podcasts, and yeah, we're, we're going to have that up. I'm also working on social media for Power of Thought, so we can kind of separate the two. But there's so much great content on there, so if you haven't checked it out, please do. Um, but with that, I'm very grateful that Steve was able to come on with me, and there's a lot to talk about. Um, for those who don't remember, Steve is a former Special Forces NCO and warrant officer, the lone editor and writer for SpecialOperations.com. And the last time you were on, we were talking about these interviews that you've been doing with veterans from older wars. Um, and the biggest news on my end, and I want to hear about the interviews that you've been doing, is that I remember saying to you on our call that we do every week, you know, you got to get in touch with Jim Downing, Lieutenant Jim Downing, who is the second uh, second oldest at the time living Pearl Harbor survivor. And just the other week, he passed away. So it just it really confirms that thought of, that these guys are not going to be around much longer. And if you get the opportunity to talk to them, take that opportunity. If they're ever speaking, um, you know, in, in your area, it's something that you really should not miss. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sorry, I never got to talk with him because I, I you know, talking with an actual Pearl Harbor survivor would have been really awesome. I, I know, um, you know, it goes to what we, we talked about, right. And I mean, we're losing so many of these guys every day and and um you know it's it's really sad and in fact <clears throat> i mentioned to you offline uh, you know the the very first interview we did with the eo jima survivor um he was the backseater in a dive bomber and uh he's in the hospital right now he's 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 pretty ill and of course anytime uh somebody in their 90s is is ill it's very serious so yeah Hopefully I'll get over to see him here uh, real soon. But yeah, we're, we're continuing to, to drive along with that. We have a couple of more veterans online that we're, we're hoping to get into uh, a studio or visit them at their homes. And, and we're, we're driving on with that. And their stories are always awesome to hear. So the, the guy who's in the hospital, uh, and what's his name again? His name is Roland Lachance. Uh, he was in the Navy. He was the backseater in a Dauntless dive bomber, and um, and he he was over Iwo Jima, and um, <clears throat> yeah, he's a a very interesting man. I've, I've 
known him for quite a few years and, you know, to talk with him, uh, he, he's, uh, he, he's a really cool guy and, uh, still has a grip of uh, when you shake his hand, if you don't shake it very hard going back, he'll crush it. <laughs> he lives in a, like a revolutionary era old farmhouse. It's like 250 years old, uh, in central Massachusetts, he lives up over a lake. It's a beautiful place. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about, you know, his life, um, you know, how the, the second world war affected him. I mean, uh, you know, what the, the prevailing thing, when you talk to these, uh, these gentlemen about their experiences, a lot of them were world war two, they might've only had 12 to 15 months combat time. But it, it affected the rest of their lives and how they decided to live the rest of their lives. Of course. Which to me is amazing. You know, that small, you know, you took a, a man who was 93, 94 years old, and you've taken a 12 or 15 month segment of his life, and that is the prevailing, you know, factor in how he lived the rest of it. So I'm I'm guessing that that's an interview people um, will see at some point. It's not up now, though, right? No, no, we're, we're still gathering those. And, uh, um, I'm not sure how software TV is going, going to, uh, progress with that. I mean, that, that's still something that, you know, needs to be worked on, but we're, we're, we're gathering as many of them as we can. And, you know, once uh, I'm sure once they have enough of them, we'll start seeing those. And I think the, you know, people who, who, uh, who, who read our, obviously our, uh, our website and, and uh, like the history part of things. I think they'll really enjoy these because every guy has a different story and their experiences differ, but uh, I think um, people will, will really like them. I can't wait to see it because it really is long overdue. It's something that I know guys at the company have been talking about for a long time. And, you know, it's, it's also, as we said earlier, it's one of those things that you really have to act on now because, many of these guys are not going to be with us five years, 10 years down the line. No. And that's exactly it. I mean, we're, we're losing them at such a rate every day. And like I said, uh, you know, uh, Roland was our first interview that we did. And uh, we went to his home uh, because he doesn't get out as much. He, he was very active. He still is active, but I mean, you know, he's slowing down a lot at, at 94. I think you're, uh, you you're allowed to slow down a little bit, of course, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but now he's uh, he's been sick with pneumonia in the hospital, and hopefully, I'll have a chance to go over and see him today, and and hopefully we'll we'll see him back on his feet. But uh, yeah, uh, you know those guys, um, you know they're 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 getting up there in years. Even our Vietnam veterans, I've done a few interviews with them, and you know they're they're not spring chickens anymore either. We tend to think of Vietnam vets as you know younger than they really are. Some of the guys who fought in the '60s now. You know, they're getting up there. They're like, you know, in their 70s now. And um, it's tough. Um, you know, we, we did a couple of interviews with them guys and, you know, uh, guys who fought during the Tet Offensive and uh, paratroopers with the 101st and 173rd. And we're, we're trying to get a couple more of the uh, World War II guys who fought in the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, but they, again, they've been ill. There's a... Um, <clears throat> there's a couple of Korean war vets that we want to talk to as well. Cause that seems to be the one war that doesn't get a lot of, you know, airplay 
It's funny that you say that these guys are allowed to uh, slow down because it made me think of, if people haven't heard it, by the way, Power of Thought, I just looked up which episode it was. Look up Power of Thought, episode 13. We had on Captain Jerry Yellen, who was a World War II fighter pilot, um, flew the last combat mission over Japan in the P-51 Mustang, uh, former Army, Army Air Force, and which, by the way, I learned this from the episode when I was researching. So, like, my grandpa was an Army Air Corps vet, which eventually became the um, Air Force, but for a short period of time at the end of World War II, it was the Army Air Forces. I'm sure you know this. Mm -hmm. I did not know this. I just thought it went from (laughs) the Army Air Corps to the Air Force. Um, But anyway, the guy is 94 years old, and he's still flying planes. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, insane. (laughs) You know, I I hope I'm still breathing when I'm 80, never mind 94, and uh, to be able to still fly, I mean, it shows. I mean, some some guys have a uh, uh, have a great way of taking care of themselves, and they they must be doing something right. Yeah, I, I have to give you his contact too. Come to think of it, because he was great on the mm-hmm. show. Um, like I said, if you haven't heard it, I don't know if you have or, or the audience, but episode 13 of Power of Thought, that guy uh, has such an incredible story. Yeah, we'll definitely have to talk with him. Yeah, he was excellent. And he still does speaking engagements. Um, You know, he was talking about being Jewish and that he speaks at uh, Jewish war veterans um, events and that type of thing. And and I think he still does other speaking engagements, put out a book. So he's still very active, as, as we've talked about before. There's some of these guys who want to make sure that their story is told before they pass away. And some of the guys are very quiet and, and you don't hear them say one thing about their combat service, as you said, you know, with your dad, for example. Uh, yeah. Earlier this week, I, I had spoke to our managing editor, the Odyssey, and uh, I had mentioned I, I had met another uh, Marine Corps veteran from Iwo Jima who was, uh, you know, fighting on the ground. And and he had spoken with me, you know, uh, pretty openly. I, I was actually in the waiting room at a hospital. And, uh, we, we, I saw his hat and we started, you know, talking and I told him what I had been doing and he smiled and said, I, I, I appreciate what you're doing. I think it's worthwhile. I just don't choose to talk about that on camera. And, uh, I can, you know, I can totally understand that. I, I totally get it. And some guys don't really feel comfortable doing that. Some guys do. And, uh, and, and and again, I, I from talking to him and the the short amount of time I did, he had a, a very interesting story. He had fought in a couple of the other island campaigns, and then he went ashore at Iwo. He didn't stay there very long. He got wounded in action and was, uh, you know, met him, well. He was taken on a hospital ship, um, so he was only there about three or four days, but. Uh, his experiences were pretty intense to say the least. So now if a guy says that he's not comfortable being interviewed, doesn't want to be on video, do you just take no for an answer or do you try to like nudge these guys a little bit? Cause I've, I've encountered that just as a radio producer with people saying like, ah, I don't, it's not about me. I don't want to come on. And sometimes you can coax them to, to make an appearance. Yeah. Well, in, in fact, most of the guys I've talked to uh, had to be coaxed a little bit, you know, because they, most of them are very humble and they, you know, they take the attitude, uh, you know, no one wants to hear what I have to say. I wasn't a, a hero or I, I didn't do anything special. 
And, you know, we, we tell them it's, everyone's story is important, no matter what you did, no matter where you served. Everyone's story is important because everybody that serves is, is important in, in our, you know, the way we look at it. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I tried to nudge him because I told him, hey, this isn't, this isn't about me or you. It's really about all of the veterans in, of every, you know, era. But he just said no. He just, uh, you know, he's like uh, certain things will come out of our conversation if we start talking. And some of those things I want to leave where they are. And I, I can understand that. So, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of funny to me when sometimes these guys say that um, these, you know, they say like, oh, I didn't really do anything. Why, you know why do you want to interview me? And and you're right. Everybody has a story. Right. And, uh, you know, a, a, a Marine rifleman who fought in a couple of campaigns in world war two to include Iwo Jima, he has a story to tell and it's important, you know, and he was wounded in action, obviously. So, I mean, so, you know, you know, that he, he saw a lot of, of combat and, uh, even if you know his his experience on Iwo Jima was only three or four days, that was three or four days of very. I mean, as we know in the history, that was amongst the most intense combat anyone saw during the Second World War. I mean, it was a what an eight square mile strip of volcanic ash, and we lost seven thousand men there. I mean, that speaks of the ferocity that happened there, and you just have to tip your hat to that generation of men because that's uh it had to have been an incredibly difficult place you know to serve so there's there's several guys that you have interviewed since we last spoke um that that did agree right yes and uh yeah we spoke with a couple of vietnam vets i, I spoke to one who was um who arrived in vietnam in early 1968 as tet offensive was wearing down and he served in Kuchi, where the Vietnamese had all the tunnels there. And we talked about his life. He was an infantryman. And, uh, you know, they they did a lot of uh, ambushes and, you know, uh, sweeps and stuff like that. And he talked about the Vietnamese civilians because they seemed to bear the brunt of the war, no matter which side they were on. And a lot of them, unfortunately, really didn't ha- take a side. They more than anything, they wanted to be left alone. And that was the, the prevailing thought that he had of that uh, era. And I spoke with the, uh, another guy who was a paratrooper with the 101st and the 173rd Airborne. And his experiences were a little and, bit And I'm sorry, which, but, uh, which war? Vietnam as well. Okay. One of our World War II vets who fought as an infantryman in the Battle of the Bulge has been ill as well. He's been uh, in rehab, and we're hoping to get him in the studio real soon. You know, uh, I, I had met him before we, we had talked, and he, he talked about facing a German tiger tank with nothing in his head but a bazooka. Wow. <laughs> so that that could be some interesting stories to talk about, you know, when you're talking about an 18-, 19-year-old kid and, you know, German tanks are coming at you and you're, you're sitting there with nothing but a, a bazooka. That's basically a, you know, won't go through their armor unless you let it roll past you and you shoot it in the rear. So you talk about some guys who had some courage, you know, 
I think that tips the scale there. What was the tone like when they were recalling these stories? Because it's probably something that they haven't talked about in years. Um, most of the tone is, is um, and most of them, it's, it's amazing. They, uh, they're upbeat about it. I mean, they, they knew, hey, you know, a lot of them don't have any ill will toward the guys that they fought. They, they take it, hey, you know, he had his job to do. I had mine. And, you know, at the time, you know, the prevailing thought is you don't think about it until after the fact. Now, as you're older, you look back and you wonder how we survived. But the prevailing thought is, um, you know, they they take it, um, you know, their recall is really, really good. Even after 70-plus years, you, you talk to these guys, and they can remember every little detail down to what they were doing at the time, you know, maybe a battle started. You know, talk to one guy who was talking about his, uh, you know, this battle of the Bulge guy, what he was actually eating in a hole when the Germans attacked him. So, you know, it's interesting. And then uh, they all have the little things that they remember that, you know, it didn't seem important at the time. And as they get older, it tends to uh, come back to them and they, they remember certain little details that I find always interesting. I'm also guessing that the veteran to veteran connection helps when you tell them your background, that your special operations, they, they know that you're someone who they, they could comfortably relay that story to. Yeah. And in fact, one of uh, the Vietnam vets I had interviewed, um, he was the infantryman that fought in Coochie and he had done an interview with a, a local television station and, um, uh, a few years ago. And he said it, it didn't go well. He was very uncomfortable. And, uh, he said that, you know, he had told his wife he wouldn't do that again, but then I had talked to him. We had talked pretty extensively about it prior to him coming to the television, the local television studio where we filmed it at. And so he felt very comfortable and he, he was all for it. Uh, he was like, I think, this one will go much better. And then when we finished, he was like, that was really interesting. I could have talked for another 20 or 30 minutes. So <laughs> that's cool. Hopefully man. that that will come across on film, you know? Yeah. I think it probably, it, it probably sets the tone and gets them to have the right attitude about getting in there and, and being comfortable telling these stories. And what, what's like your favorite thing to ask these guys? I, you know, what, what I'd like to ask him is like, you know, what, how did your service, because everyone served in different eras, in different places, how did it affect you personally after your service was over? Did it change the way you looked at your life in the, you know, back home? Did it change what you had planned? Because, you know, a lot of guys, especially the World War II guys, they, they grew up, even up here in Massachusetts, most people came from little farming communities and they had nothing you know, more planned with their lives and, Hey, coming back, I'm going to take over the family farm. And a lot of these guys, they, they decided they were going to go into some kind of, you know, service related, um, type of career where they, they still want to serve people. A lot of them went into local politics, you know, different types of things and served in different, uh, you know, realms or whatever you wanted to call it. I, I find that really interesting because a lot of these guys, you know, 
they saw there was a lot bigger world out there than just their own little, you know, farm in the you know a bucolic little Massachusetts you know town, and all of a sudden now things have changed and uh, it, it affected them. I think for the better. I mean, most of these guys say my my service made me a better person today than I would have been if I had never gone in. If I had to guess, though, even though you're saying like there's a pattern of, of jobs that they've gone into that that are similar, I'm sure it's a very different story for all of them. I mean, it's like a kind of a connecting theme I've seen on this show is just that veterans are not a monolith. You're not going to get veterans as a whole to agree on on many things because they're all individuals. Right. Absolutely. You know, and then, you know, one guy went into the family business. Another guy, you know, became uh you know, he, he served in many different aspects of local politics. He, he was a school committee member. He was, uh, a, you know, a, a town selectman, you know, served in different committees. And, uh, you know, he, uh, another one went into the VA. He, he served disabled veterans. So, uh, you know, I think that that's a really, you know, telling thing that they, they decided to keep giving back to the communities and to the country. And, uh, that, that error that they had of, of military service stuck with them and it affected the way they lived the rest of their lives in a very positive manner. All right. So we've teased this out pretty good. People are probably like, when do I get to see this? Do we have any idea? <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's above my realm. I'm, I'm just helping, you know, putting, put some of these together. We have, the guys from software TV and uh, you know, that's, I know they're very, very busy. They're always out doing other stuff, but I'm sure, like I said, once we get these uh, enough of them together, we'll probably start seeing these being put out and hopefully we'll get them out really soon. I think, um, you know, I think it's something that our, our subscribers will, well, not subscribers anymore now. uh, Well, software uh, TV is subscribers. So, Oh, that's still a subscription. Yeah. But, you know, I think uh, our, uh, you know, everyone out there that, that reads our stuff, that listens, uh, I think that they'll be, uh, they'll be really intrigued by this. And I think it's worthwhile. Yeah. And I'd be down to play some of it on the podcast because I think people want to hear it. Um, how, how much raw footage do you have at this point? I'm not sure. I'd have to go back. I think um, the longest one was probably. 55 minutes and most of them uh we talked for about 30 35 minutes i mean so we have a couple of hours of good footage coming in and uh i'm sure you know we're gonna get a lot more of that as we as we progress and uh you know uh, i have another one lined up with a uh quadriplegic uh special forces officer down in texas we're gonna have to do it remotely but uh we're, we're gonna do that real soon He's a very intriguing guy, and I can't wait to do it with him. I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see it all. Um, and then also with what you're up to at specialoperations.com, I mean, for those who don't know of the hurricane media, media sites, specialoperations.com is is more of the history-oriented site. And I, you're working on a piece, or is it a recent piece, on the 512 Allied Airmen by the OSS in World War II? Yeah, we posted that yesterday. Um, Got it. Okay. It was something that, yeah, it was on uh, specialops.com uh, yesterday. 
uh, a few months ago, I had been, I love reading the OSS because that was the forerunners of the CIA in World War II and then the special forces. And, uh, and so I, I talked, I uh, talked to a guy down at the Sophic, uh, you know, uh, down in Tampa, the, uh, the big convention we were at last summer or last spring. And, uh, we, we spoke about that and the OSS. And then there was this operation they ran in Yugoslavia where all these downed airmen in world war two were being stranded there. And they sent in a handful of OSS guys and they rescued actually 512 allied airmen. They made an airstrip right under the noses of the Germans, basically by hand with no tools and they were able to sneak in a bunch of C-47s and get all of these airmen out. They didn't lose a man doing it. it. The story was incredible. And it's amazing that it never been really publicized. And uh, so I had asked for, for Christmas, and received this book called The Forgotten 500. And in the, the book, it explains the entire operation. It was a fascinating story. And these guys who did it, absolutely incredible and um it, it was a tremendous story they got them all out and then 60 years later and a lot of them went back to serbia actually and the guys that we didn't really have a great relationship with in the 90s but these serbian farmers had protected american and british pilots and they they hid them from the germans they fed them they nursed their wounds and uh helped us get these people out and it was a tremendous story and we put that up on the website yesterday yeah i see it up right here so it's operation halyard one of the great rescue stories of world war ii yeah absolutely the thing is you write so many was, articles so that that's not even on the front page anymore no yeah yeah there's another one uh, actually today i think it was about the most decorated Navy SEAL, uh, Ed Byers, he yep. won the medal. Uh, he was awarded the Medal of Honor, I should say, um, just a couple of years ago by President Obama. And um, that was from an operation where he freed a, an American hostage in Afghanistan in 2012. And again, that, that was a really great story. I remember when he was awarded the Medal of Honor, I, I watched the, the clips of him, and then he was on Stephen Colbert's show, um, I think it was the next evening um, he did an interview with Stephen Colbert, which was really, really well done. And then the other piece of history that you covered is that as we're recording this, uh, which is March 1st, this is the 16th anniversary of Operation Anaconda in Afghanistan. Right. And that's what I'm working on today. As a matter of fact, hopefully that will be up in the morning. Yep, so it'll and, be up uh, by the yeah, time people the, hear this. Yeah, yep, and it should be up by uh, March 2nd. Um, I always try to get them out first thing in the morning. But, uh, yeah, Operation Anaconda was a big, uh, was one of the first big operations we had over there. And um, yeah, a lot of guys were killed and injured during that uh, you know, during that big operation where the Taliban and Al Qaeda guys tried to slug it out and um, it didn't work out too well for them, but we did suffer a lot of casualties there. And there was a lot of different troops involved, not only special forces guys, but uh, conventional units as well. Plus the 
United States Air Force who really put some air support down for our ground troops. Awesome. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. You guys will have that up. I'll link to it. Um, Operation Anaconda in Afghanistan uh, began today as we're recording this in 2002. Um, you could follow Steve, of course, on Twitter at Steve B seven SFG. I know that the last time we talked, um, we did talk a little NFL because of your side gig. So I guess that is slowing yeah. down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And things have calmed down a, a little bit since the Super Bowl has been over, but you know, with the NFL combine and the, uh, draft right around the corner, it never really stops anymore. You yeah. know, there's really no off season anymore. And, uh, and yeah, in, 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 in addition to uh, my soft rep stuff and the special ops and uh, the interviews, uh, still doing some NFL draft stuff as well. So it, it keeps me busy. <laughs> Very cool. So yeah, as uh, also as a reminder for those who are listening, uh, it's appropriate to talk soft rep TV because this is what we're talking about is something that you're going to see on soft rep TV in the near future, hopefully very near future, um, which is our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. Um, the premiere show on there is Training Cell, which follows former special operations forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country. Everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. And you can watch this content at softreptv.us. We have a limited time promotion of only $4.99 a month, so get on that. And then also, if you haven't gotten a chance, check out the Softrep Crate Club. Uh, it's a subscription to get a box of badass tactical and survival gear delivered to your door every month. So it's like tactical Christmas every month. Here's the kicker. All the gear is handpicked and tested by former spec ops guys. So you know you're getting quality gear that's going to work when you need it to. Um, in the past, we've sent fire starters, multi-tools, EDC med kits, and it's all picked once again by special operations veterans. You're supporting a veteran-owned company. And to subscribe to that, visit CrateClub.us. We have gift options available as well. That's CrateClub.us. Anything else that, that you're currently working on, Steve, that we haven't covered? Because all of that is really exciting, and, and I urge everybody to head over to SpecialOperations.com. Uh, in fact, yeah, uh, you just mentioned the Crate Club. Um, I've had the the opportunity and the blessing to... Uh, to test out some of their stuff. And when you talked about the fire starter and the, and the fire starting materials, uh, yeah, I'm going to be doing a, a piece on that in the, probably the upcoming weeks. And that is some outstanding material that it's in the crate club. I can't wait to tell people about it because uh, as, as you know, as a special forces guy, we tend to look at things a little on the, jaded side because you never know what you're going to get people say oh this works really good well i can tell you that the fire starting stuff we got in our crate was some outstanding stuff and i hope to be able to write about that real soon as well yeah i was i was actually just over at my town dock where i live in port washington yesterday you know as the sun was going down it's finally like some nice weather here even though apparently tonight it won't be but yesterday was very nice weather and I brought my binoculars from the premium crate club 
And man, those are those are amazing. And it's cool for times like that when you have a nice view of the water and, you know, some stuff that you want to see over the, the water that you can't see with the naked eye. Um, it's, it's all just great stuff, which at the time I know was picked out by Drew Dwyer. Um, Scott Whitner is more uh, doing that now. Yeah, Scott does a great job with that. Scott's the man. Absolutely. And I got to get him back on soon. Um, yeah. So the last thing I'll say is as we're wrapping this one up, head over, um, once again to the power of thought podcast, and you'll hear yet another full interview with Navy SEAL Robert O'Neill, best known as the UBL shooter. Um, and this will be the third time we've had him in studio, but that's on the power of thought. So if you haven't checked that out, go to that now. Um, like I said, in the next few days, I'm going to launch like a Twitter and Instagram for the power of thought where we're actually, uh, 29 episodes deep on the power of thought. So it's about time that we kind of launch our own social media for that. And, um, I feel like most of you guys who listen have, have checked out that podcast, but if you haven't, please do so. Um, cause many of you are wondering like what happened to Brandon? What, what's he up to? He's still doing a weekly podcast, but that's the podcast he's doing. So, Hurricane Group as a whole is doing three podcasts a week. So it's plenty of material for you guys to check out and enjoy each week. Awesome. Yeah, I actually, I look forward to hearing that Rob O'Neill interview that you're going to be doing with Brandon and him. Uh, look forward to, to listening to that. As always, he's always an interesting guy to listen. Uh, he Again, we're talking about guys with a lot of experience. Not many guys can say they did what he did. No, that that is for sure. But uh, yeah, thanks, Steve. Thanks so much for coming on and and uh, doing this with me. Love having you on and and hearing what you're up to. And look look forward to seeing these interviews. Okay, uh, thank you and thank you again for having me on. And it was always a pleasure to talk. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. For all of the great content from our veteran journalists, join us and become a Team Room member today at softrep.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Softrep Radio. And be sure to also check out the Power of Thought podcast, hosted by Hurricane Group CEO and Navy SEAL sniper instructor, Brandon Webb.